Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Wednesday, September the 18th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. I am joined in studio by our political editor, Pat Leahy, and also by our deputy political editor, Fia Kelly. Gentlemen, you're both very welcome. Good morning, Hugh. Today signals, I suppose, the official end of summer and the beginning of autumn, not just because the leaves are starting to turn a little golden on the trees, but because the Irish Times Political Digest has returned. Fia, can you uh, issue it to your loyal readers this morning? What did you have to say? Yeah, I think Pat got the ball rolling yesterday. Uh, Tuesday morning may have passed you by, but yeah, we're back. We're back in earnest. Yeah, I had a, I had a lie in yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're back. We're obviously the, the digest runs every day. The doll is sitting, so the doll was back yesterday. It was back. We're back today, and as always, the main items are Brexit and the budget, and now the countdown to the election because we are in the end game of the thirty second doll. Taoiseach last week flagged that he wanted May twenty twenty. As preferred election date, he's been banging that drum for a couple of weeks now. Uh, broad consensus seems to be, Michal Martin says spring, so you're looking somewhere around between February and May, end of May next year, I'd say. Does it make but, a huge difference whether it's, you know, end of February or middle well, of May? the Taoiseach has repeatedly said over the last years that he wants a summer election, he favours a summer election. Um, for obvious reasons, people feel a bit better about themselves, weather is nicer, the experience of politicians during the last two elections in 16 and 11 was quite miserable. One, both in February and like, you know, post-Christmas blues. Um, so Fianna Fáil would love to drag Leo Varadkar through another winter where there's, you know, homelessness crisis, hospital trolley waiting lists, uh, and then go around February, March. But you're probably looking at something split the difference. Like, I'd be surprised if it's not too long after the Easter recess. Sometime around there, like, you know, maybe the doll is dissolved around April. I think, if, I think the idea of Varadkar's idea is to dissolve in early May with a polling day in late May. And then you have a government all going well, formed by the summer recess, and then people go off on their summer holidays and come back. I think that sounds more or less right. There is another possibility, however, uh, less likely than the scenario that Fiek has outlined, but I think it is a possibility. And that is that there is a, uh, however it, unlikely it may seem at this point, that there is a Brexit deal before October the 31st, uh, and the UK leaves uh, with the two-year uh, transition period. So all the uh, the terrors of a no-deal Brexit will be avoided. Now, if that is to happen, one of the things that will be required to get those ducks in a row is that there will probably, I think, need to be a movement in the Irish position. So the Irish government would have to accept some sort of a compromise that is somewhat sub where the uh, the backstop is at, uh, at, at the moment. If that happens and there is an Irish concession to achieve a deal, I think that uh, the government will present that as a move they have made to avoid a no deal. And if there is, uh, if there is that deal, then I think the door opens, or at least a window opens, for a November election. And I think that the government would seek 
to fight that election. Leo Varadkar particularly, personally, would seek to fight that election on the basis of having, through a political act by him and a decision made by him, uh, avoided a no-deal and he would seek to use that good, as a springboard good, into a November good election. Statecraft, look at the good polls, statecraft in indeed. the words of Boris Johnson. Yes, yeah, an act of statesmanship, indeed. Uh, because if you look at the polls, I think that um, if Fine Gael is going to gain an advantage, uh, it will need a Brexit bounce. And I don't think, you know, if there's a, if there's a no deal or an extension goes on and that, that next spring election scenario takes shape, very hard, I think, to trade on Brexit at that stage. Whereas if there is a deal, then I think that opens a possibility for uh, Leo Varadkar to do so. But of course, there's a number of can things I, can, need can to I, fall can, in can line Can I ask you well, a couple of things about that, Fiaca? The first one is, should things come to pass in the way that, that Pat has laid out and some concessions are made on the Irish side and on the British side and something which is not called a backstop anymore um, is, is agreed... Would there not be a huge temptation for the opposition parties in Fianna Fáil in particular if Leo then, you know, goes triumphantly to the country on the first or second week in November and causes calls an election to argue that he didn't deliver a good deal, that he sold the pass, that the, that he gave up uh, and that he's failed? That's the call they'll have to make. I and think. it therefore in a way becomes a Brexit election. It becomes a Brexit election. And I think I couldn't roll about this earlier in the week that there's two different both Brexit scenarios present a dilemma for the opposition. If there's no deal Brexit, do you criticise the government for their handling of the process over the last three years? Do you blame them for a no deal Brexit or do you row in behind them in a, you know, wrap the political system here around the crisis that will develop on this island? Do you do that while also, you know, you can do both if they're not mutually exclusive. In a deal Brexit scenario, do you criticise him for giving in or do you what some of them have suggested in the last few months do you try and make it as much as possible an all party position to try and wrap everybody within the Brexit success so obviously Tishka's the office holder it'll be his it'll be his like you know trumpeting of whatever comes out of this but do you try and say well you wouldn't have got there if it wasn't for us and if you're Michal Martin and you have said and your argument is repeatedly I've given you the space and the room to negotiate on behalf of the country you know you will try and extract some kudos from that because, you know, an element of Fianna Fáil's success in the last 12 months has been that perception that they've put the country first. They're on 29% roughly in the polls now. Like, obviously, it wasn't completely, you know, selfless reasons why they allowed the conference supply agreement to extend. They wanted the shine to come off the record, but they have, and TDs will say this, they feel the benefit has come to them from the people saying, you know, well, you did put the country first. So, so they'd maintain that even in an election, even though the temptation would surely be they will agree in the substance that they'll quibble on the details. The classic conference supply thing. You quibble on you go, Where's your no deal preparations? Haven't seen them, da, 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 da. spin, spin, spin. But in the substance there's no disagreement because they can't disagree. Okay, can I can I put another alternative scenario to to well, you, Pat? Put as many as you like. Okay, well, well, well. Here's one which is which is not unlikely that there is an extension of some sort. That there will be, as we know, there will be an election in the United Kingdom. Uh, that Boris Johnson does not win that election. 
um, and that therefore we're into a new political landscape in Westminster. And there's a, there's a number of varieties of, of, of what that might be. But essentially what it means is that the uncertainty continues. Uh, and whether it's some form of coalition or minority Labour government or some other type of thing, the question of a referendum start, you know, com- comes into play again. And we're still kind of in this mess as we head into spring of next year. Is There must be a point in the Irish political process where you have to throw up your hands and say, we have to have our bloody election anyway. I think that is more likely to arrive in those circumstances next spring or early summer than it is to arrive uh, before then. You know, look, the, the, the truth underpinning all this is that decisions about the next Irish election and those decisions that have to be made here can't be made until there is some resolution of Brexit. And the decisions depend that will be made here depend on the nature of that Brexit uh, resolution. Now, clearly, there are at least, you know, legal and constitutional limits that you run up against here. So oh, the we're, last, we're a long way away from that. Yeah, yet. we're we're mm. we're we're a bit away from that. Well we're we're yeah, we're we're a year and a bit, a year and a half, I suppose, uh away from those. But I think you're right. I think that if the messiness continues and the uncertainty continues in the UK, then I think we will probably reach the end point. I think next of, spring is the end. I don't think Fianna Fáil can stretch this any further. No. I don't think the party would, would allow him. And from their own selfish point of view, they've now got Faradkar where they want him. They're roughly neck and neck. So it's it, everything is primed now for an election within the next nine months, really. There was a bit of chatter this week that past speaking about a November election that the party leaders met on Monday evening with some of them, some of them were not there. And there was a kind of an agreement on, you know, how do we manage the by-elections that are outstanding, the four by-elections in Fingal, Wexford, Dublin Midwest, and the other one, which is Gaysmeys, Cork, North Central. Um, and there was agreed that, that would be the last week in November. So, and then... So that's earlier than they need to be. Yes, because the writ doesn't have to be moved until because of the curious situation which the European Parliament at the moment with kind of Brexit ME, or British MEPs in there the writ didn't have to be moved until six months after the first plenary session of the Parliament which is the 2nd of July which means the writ didn't have to be moved until the 2nd of January but you're not mm. coming back after Christmas to move a writ uh, so you're looking at probably that last week and the Friday of that last week which is when elections and referendums are mostly held it's the 29th so if the scenario Pat has outlined that there is a deal and he fancies a rush to the country well, then you don't need the by-elections and you have your, your general there's, election. There's, the there's, already, there's already made X in the calendar on the 29th of November. And the other thing about that, I've heard people in Varadkar's operation and inner circle kind of, you know, theorise before that if you have a natural deadline after an election, that it's easier to form a government. So if you have an election before Christmas, you've got people, you know, not going to hang around, not going to have no government over Christmas. Although it did happen in the past in 1990. Two or ninety four? I can't remember which which one it was. But that was the thinking that if you run an election up against either a summer recess, a Christmas recess, or a budget, for example, it might be easier to form a okay. government. But one way or the other, the people of Cork North Central, Wexford, Dublin Midwest, and Fingal will all get the chance to vote before Christmas. And should they be in a by election, that's going to be a very interesting, quite substantial test of the state of the parties, isn't it? In the run up to a general election. Yeah, interesting. I think the Leo Wrecker modest in his um projections last week said, mm. you know, I only expect we'll win one of those. It's not quite clear which one they think they'll win, although I think privately they think Dublin Midwest may be their, their best um their their best possibility of taking of holding a Dawes seat because that was Francis Fitzgerald's seat. So he was quite modest. Fianna Fáil 
probably designs on two of those. Which You'd would have be to, which ones? Fingal, possibly, and Wexford. And then you'd have to think that, like, if there's a green surge or wave or whatever you're calling it now, although they were only at 7% in the Red Sea Pole at the weekend, that maybe one of those could throw back in a green TD. Mm. Fingal had a green TD in the past. So did Dublin Midwest. Midwest did. You know, that kind of middle-classy vote, urban vote is there. And then maybe... Nobody else knows where the rest of them are. But it's like Farrakhan's pitching is only one from four, I think, is ready in the ground. He's not going to go, so we're going to win three out of four. And then when he doesn't win three out of four, it's a disaster for him. He's lost a match. Well, of course, are difficult for governments to win. But they also sure. tend to be, all by-elections are to a greater or lesser degree are sui generis. They depend on the, you know, the local circumstances. They depend on the local, slate of local candidates and the mood of the country at a given time. And it's they do tell you some things about where politics is going but they're often overinterpreted um, uh, as well. So, but I think you can't dismiss the um, you, you can't dismiss the effect of four of them being held on yeah. the same day, and you know elections elections terrify, electrify, spook politicians. You know, and there will be momentum effects from the results of those by-elections. So if the aggregate Fianna Gael vote across uh, all four is outstripped by the aggregate Fianna Fáil vote, then there will be a, you know, that will generate momentum towards an election within Fianna Fáil. If the opposite, uh, if, if, if the opposite happens, then it'll have the opposite effect. So that will be, uh, you know, I think that rather than, you know, the significance of individuals elected or not or how the counts go in the individual constituencies. It's that sort of first order trend result that that will generate political effects, I think. And then, Fiuk, I suppose in terms of the overall, you know, dance of death between the two major parties and the, the other ones circling around them, um, you guys were both, I think, at the Fine Gael thinking last week. You have a story in this morning's Irish Times about a bit of an internal spat at cabinet level between the Fine Gael members of cabinet about some of the things that the Taoiseach yeah, said at that time. Taoiseach at the Fine Gael thinking in this morning. Speaking to everybody who was at that thinking from the parliamentary side of the party side of things, I thought it was quite successful thinking, one of the better ones they've had in recent years. Mood was good. They were focused. Um, in common with Fianna Fáil, they can both see the election site now because so focus is, is improving. But the Taoiseach in his Morning Ireland interview and then in a, in a question, in response to a question Pat asked at a press conference, he first of all, you know, raised the prospect of reciprocating the confidence supply agreement if he were in opposition and if only if Micheál Martin won more seats in Fine Gael, he wouldn't facilitate an arrangement whereby Micheál Martin could win less seats in Fine Gael but could cobble together an alternative coalition. He ruled that out. And then he also raised the prospect of, uh, you know, a grand coalition after the election, which, you know, if you speak to people privately around him, that, I would say, is his number one desire. He would love a Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil government, so maybe it's not as silly as we all think him Why raising Why Because he just thinks it would be a good government. Like, the amount of Fine Gael people privately over the last two years would go, oh, gee, sorry, we're a podcast, I can say it. Uh, Jesus, this confidence supply thing, can we not just, you know, have a grand coalition? It'd be much easier to work. We all think alike, look at Michael McGrath, Pascal and the all on so well, let's just do it. Of course, that would be, you know, dependent on them being senior party. Yes, it might not this was an offer on offer, yeah, wasn't that's it? The thing, the last, like the thing about the was one of those. Yeah, was, he was on the team. And in fairness, the first day he was elected as leader of Fine Gael, the question was asked of him, you know, you were on that team. That offer was made. You crossed the Rubicon then. Would you do it again? And he kind of said, yeah. But doing it now, when they'd spent two days kind of 
biffing Fianna Fáil around as reckless and profligate and you know mm. those Fianna Fáilers and they have a rubbish team and look at us we're much better kind of undercut the whole logic of the thinking for him to say oh, yeah they're not bad fellas really we can do business with them so anyway what happened was uh, Tisha Kapani was very upset at the weekend media coverage of his thinking where people were doubting his wisdom and off the record people comments the record. various mm. newspapers tut tut did that ever happen and at the Shocking, really. at the uh, yeah at the Prime Minister uh, pre-cabinet meeting which is where all the ministers and a couple of advisors uh, go in and discuss things out of the cabinet meeting he you know chastised them about this type of thing and said I didn't apparently someone said to me he kind of said in my two and a half years at Tishka I've never negatively briefed about, about any of you although he might have done it that did. about his colleagues when he, before he was Tishka very interesting time frame <laughs> as someone said to me this morning very interesting time frame <laughs> but that was it and I think you know I think there was frustration in, 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 in his operation that a successful think in his day. So, and they said that what he said was a matter of fact. And in a way, it could be viewed as a matter of fact. They did offer a grand coalition. So you can't, you know, undo that act. You can't, it'd be churlish of them not to reciprocate the conflict supply agreement. But perhaps the, the safer answer for him last week would have been, I'm not focused on that so now. Does Focus this indicate anything other than just being a minor, minor spat about something? I mean, are there differences of opinion? Obviously, a key part of a Fine Gael electoral strategy is to kind of, you know, as best they can, revive the ghosts of the crash and the sins of the past in Fianna Fáil. They've tried, they tried to do it at the last election as well. I'm not sure how successful it was. Presumably, as a strategy, it declines in success as the years continue to go by. Uh, I feel sure that... Uh, Fine Gael will remind us of Micheál Martin's long record of public service over the uh, over the months ahead. All right. For me, there's a what Leo Varadkar said last week uh, about the confidence and supply uh, agreement as well opens him up to uh, somewhat of a challenge as well because when the uh, when when the election comes, he will be saying, you know, give us, you know, a majority, this confidence, and so however the election is triggered, this confidence and supply agreement, you know, we need a stronger mandate, we need to, we have a, we need to dull majority, perhaps with, uh, with other parties. But at the same time, he is also saying that he would repeat this. Mm-hmm. So he would repeat this arrangement with, uh, with Fianna Fáil, that if he's the largest party, he will seek another confidence in supply, and if he's uh, if he's a smaller party, that he would be open to uh, putting Fianna Fáil in power with a uh, confidence in supply arrangement. So there is a contradiction, as Vic points out, between saying yes, we might put Fianna Fáil in government, and no, you couldn't trust Fianna Fáil uh, with the, the reins so of power. So is there sin here that he's being unnecessarily truthful? Well. Much to the delight of all journalists who uh, ha- get to ask him questions and interview him from time to time, the Taoiseach has a habit mm. of answering questions that he has asked. And, and he uh, long may it continue, it's but uh, really, yeah. it is uh, perhaps on occasion not the wisest short-term uh, approach for him to take. Although, if you look at the rise of Leo Varadkar and the way he was considered by the public and there was some research done into his profile in this newspaper before uh, he became Taoiseach, one of the things that people appreciated about him was that candour. They believed that he wasn't like other politicians, that he was a straight talker. And that is one of the things that has got him to where he is. Now, of course, the way he is perceived by the public as was entirely predictable, has changed. And they, you know, when you've been Taoiseach for two and a half years, then people begin to see, oh, well, perhaps he is a politician after all. So um, I, 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 I think it's interesting 
to observe the way that he tries to maintain that mm. straight he, talking. He, he still thinks that that is one of his main strengths and he said it he on does. record before. But it's you know, different being t to being a uh, uh, young man on the right. And, and it's particularly not, it's difficult not beyond when he's like, leading no, he's his party in, a, in, a, in an electoral campaign. You know, uh, at the last election, Michal Martin was perceived to have performed very well over the course of the campaign and, and improved Fianna, Fáil, Fianna Fáil's chances. And presumably Fine Gael, uh, one of the reasons they elected Leo Varadkar was an expectation that he would do the same. But how that plays over the course of a campaign might be different. How do you keep that I'm I'm not a real politician when you're actually leading a leading an electoral campaign. You can't because he's lost that novelty, as Pat says now. He is you know, that was okay when you're on the rise, when you're in the Taoiseach's position for two and a half years, you are a politician and there's no getting away from that. I think and you know, people in Finnegale, one of the ironies they see of one of the messages that was coming out from the thinking last week is, you know, we are a Finnegale team, we have all these strong ministers, you know, Fine Fall front bench is rubbish. But they said, you know, that's why we decided to go with Leo Fracker in the first place because Andy Kenny wasn't perceived to be a popular leader amongst the public. So he had to rely on these people around them. And they say, see something of an irony that now he is, you know, emphasising the team rather than the self, which is what he what he promised them when he became leader, that he would be the one who lifted the boats, that he would bring them to 65 plus seats. You know, that has substantially changed in the, in the interim period. But I think... The other thing about what he said last week, it was a bit of fun, kept us busy for a couple of days, but wouldn't he have come under heavy fire in an election campaign to clarify those exact points? Like, we would be asking him from day one, what about Grand Coalition? You've already done it, you can't rule it out again. He would have to say yes. What about Confidence Supply? You can't turn your nose up and he would have to say yes. So maybe in a way he's dealt with it now. And it won't be a big deal in the campaign. He can say, look, I've dealt with these issues before. Finally, Pat, the the shadow of Brexit continues to hang over everything. Um, You have a joint story with uh, our London editor, Dennis Staunton, in today's newspaper. Um, Simon Coveney talking about conversations which have been ongoing. It's not surprising that conversations are ongoing, although, of course, the Irish government makes clear that it doesn't negotiate over issues such as the backstop. That's for Michel Barnier to do. But what's Simon Coveney saying about what he's being told by the various members of the British government who he has met I thought this was. I, I thought this was interesting. Simon Coveney said yesterday that he, you know, had of course had conversations with, and he instanced, instanced the various British ministers that he'd been talking to, Michael Gove and Steve Barclay, and uh, and 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 so on. He had dinner with Julian Smith, the Northern Ireland Secretary, on Monday night in Dublin. They spoke for two or three hours. He said, and he said, of course, we are talking about you know concepts and what might be possible and what might not be possible. Now, the Department of Foreign Affairs, Taoiseach's office, Irish government are very, very keen to point out that there is, as you say, no negotiations between the Irish and the British. But there is clearly some sort of testing of ideas on an informal basis that is going on from the British side to the Irish side. Now, what I'm told equally firmly, is that in that process, nothing has been advanced by the British that could be acceptable to Irish to the, to the Irish side as doing the same job uh, on the backstop as uh, or doing the same job at the, as, as the backstop does. But I think it is indicative of two things. One, that the Irish side is open and receptive to hearing ideas to get over this, that might that might get over this on pass. And two, the British are throwing ideas out. But there is a long way between the two sides. And one thing I think that hasn't been sufficiently 
realised, perhaps in in Dublin, is that when the Irish side says that they want whatever the British do to uh, whatever solutions that the British propose, they must do the exact same job as the backstop. But the British objective has changed from what the backstop did to something an awful lot more loose. So Theresa May said that she in, she agreed the backstop because it took away the need for a border. Boris Johnson's government has resiled from that position that was agreed by his predecessor. And what the British want to do now is to manage that border in such a way that it is frictionless and invisible and so forth. But the British commitment to take away the need for a border is gone. Is gone. And that is, it's not just the technical arrangements and the technical solutions uh, that separate, or the, the lack of those that separate the two sides. It's that their objectives are now quite different. So just, just to be clear, the, these members of the British Cabinet in these meetings with Simon Coveney are, as you say, throwing out ideas about things like, you know, the de- dealing with agri-food, um, various ways of certifying goods before they reach the border, all that kind of yeah. stuff which we've heard about time and time again over the last, uh, over, over the last couple of years. They're throwing those out in a sort of verbal, informal, over-the-dinner-table kind of a way because the thing we hear from the EU all the time uh, at an increasingly loud pitch of frustration is they see they have no proposals from the British. They have seen nothing from the British. And clearly the policy from the British seems to be they're going to keep their cards close to their chest until the week before the council meeting. And uh, we could discuss how realistic that is anyway. So are the EU having those discussions at all or is this just discussions going on between London and Dublin about... No, I mean, the the Prime Minister's representative is in Brussels twice a week. There was, Boris Johnson was talking the other day about, you know, moving to daily meetings. But what there is not yet is a British document that says, here is what we propose. Let us now, you know, negotiate on this. That hasn't taken place yet. And there is continuing uh, anxiety frustration, anger on the EU and Irish side that they haven't done that yet. And there are differing interpretations depending on who you speak to both here and in Brussels and elsewhere as to the reason for that. Some people think it's because they don't, they're not really serious about this negotiation. They don't really intend on coming up with serious proposals that could be agreed by Dublin and Brussels and the other interpretation is they're working, this is a tactical staging of uh, of the process and what they will do is then present a load of proposals just in advance of that summit and uh, do not quite a take it or leave it offer to the EU, but concertina that, uh, that, that negotiation period into a very short period of time to maximise pressure on the EU to agree with the threat of a, of a no-deal Brexit a couple of weeks later if it doesn't. And isn't the case finally of, of that, um, Fiac? I was listening to the BBC's uh, Brexit Cast podcast um, yesterday evening and they were talking about that time frame and that crucial time frame, the second week in, in October. And one of the things that they mentioned, almost as an aside, is that is the point where pressure or focus or the spotlight will turn to Ireland because it will will turn to Dublin, really, because the EU, uh, our fellow EU nations are standing by us, but 
they're bound to turn around and ask the question when we finally do see these proposals. Well, is there is there a path here? And it's up to Dublin really to say whether or not there is a path, isn't there? And yeah. that becomes an incredibly pressured point in in Irish political it history. Does. Really, you know? And I bumped into um, a couple of people in this house yesterday on the opposition benches who were kind of remarking on the fact that they believe that you know that London had would have hoped that by this stage the consensus in Dublin would have fractured and it hasn't and they kind of indicated that, that it wouldn't and that if that point was to approach that they weren't going to be the ones that, that brought it down and I was speaking to people in government last night myself who said that they believe that he did want to do a deal that they, that they do think he wants to do a deal but that as Pat says where he is now is a long way from it and the I'm, I'm not sure if that is going to quite work because Anything that is about managing a border, as Pat has said, which is what the UK position now, you go back to what Simon Coveney was, you know, <laughs> recorded, you know, by accident a couple of months ago saying, we cannot be the Irish government that does that. And that doesn't matter if it's in five years or 10 years. If you're the Irish government that opens the door to a border on this island, no matter how you check it, no matter how low level it is, that clearly is a hugely difficult position for this government to be in. And I'm not sure if the proposals as they are in line with now or what's thrown on the table at the European Council that Dublin would, would give in. I, I don't see how, how they could. Um, and I think that is the one thing that... Th- the thing about the backstop is that, you know, you have to be seen to be fighting against the eventuality that this may happen. That is, the, that, that, that is what you can do. And how politically difficult would it be for a Taoiseach to be seen to be working in some degree with a British Prime Minister to basically repartition the island as people have brought it up to say now in some ways so I, I don't know if, if, if that would quite work and the thing about what Pat was saying with the frustration that obviously the, the Xavier Bettle incident this week was you know it was farce and you know it was almost a bit over the top really it was in Luxembourg bit, where was Boris ridic- Johnson didn't go to the podium ridic- and there was an empty podium there it was yeah. a bit ridiculous uh, but you know it was told that and there was a flavour of it in the FT's uh, Brussels briefing as well this morning that in his meeting with Juncker on Monday that there were some firm hard truths given in that despite the statement after that you know we will look at all proposals blah 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 that Juncker kind of made it clear that this is not acceptable you have to get more realistic I think the FT had a take on it whereby there were quotes from Johnson saying turn to Steve Barkley and this is in the SPS zone solve all these problems so you just wonder if the, if, if the dose of reality that was given to Theresa May in Salzburg is that being done now to Boris Johnson in private and is he even willing to listen to it? Right, we should leave it there because there's going to be lots more of this in the weeks ahead. Thanks very much to Fiak and Pat for coming in today. And that's it for today's podcast. Thanks to our producer Declan Conlon and our engineer JJ Vernon. And remember that you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Acast or whatever your preferred podcast provider might be. You can find us also at irishtimes.com slash podcasts. You can mail me at hlinhan at irishtimes.com or you can find me on Twitter. Until the next time, thanks for listening. 